heard me uh, say in the prayer that Mark is on his way to Ireland. And uh, Lord willing, if we can get him out of bed or out of the pub at 2 a.m. his time next week, we might even patch through a phone call where he's going to say hi to us and we'll get to hear him live next Sunday night. We're going to know for do that for sure at 9 and 11. But tonight we've got a special treat, and that is someone who many of you know, but some of you don't, and that is Lars Rood, our uh, Director of Student Ministries, is going to uh, bring God's Word to us. And so give Lars a big hand as he comes on up. A couple of weeks ago, we had a student Sunday, and I made a distinct decision not to preach that night. I decided that there was no way that I could make it up here on stage and talk about the kids that I love without crying. Because youth ministry is about relationships, and youth ministry is about walking a group of kids from one point to another point, and more often than not, it takes six years, but more often than that, sometimes it takes a lifetime. Coming to share to you all tonight is not something that I am necessarily comfortable doing. I'm much more comfortable doing ministry around a coffee table, doing ministry around a dinner table, doing ministry with one kid, two kids, with three kids, not being up preaching. Yet I come and preach because Mark asked me to. And Mark, last summer, I had the opportunity to take his youngest daughter, his baby, his angel, on a trip to Poland. And on that trip, I had to take Rachel to the hospital. And I, and I, I took her to the hospital. She got a tetanus shot because she stepped on a 400-year-old nail. And I called Mark, and I said, hey, Mark, I was very glad I was, you know, a couple thousand miles away, but I said, hey, Mark, uh, Rachel is at the hospital, and uh, I took care of it. She got a shot, and she's fine, and and I said, do you want to talk to her? And he said, no, (laughs) I trust you. Uh, So when he asked me to come in to preach tonight, I was excited because I thought, um, this is a great opportunity to come and share with you a little bit of the heart of a youth pastor. Tonight, though, we're going to talk about suffering. Uh, it's not exactly a fun topic. Some of you guys are probably in situations now where you are dealing with a lot of stuff. Recently, I had uh, several conversations with um, a couple other youth pastors. Uh, we sat down to coffee, and we started talking about what it was that our students didn't get. And the thing that came out of that is we realized that there is something very distinct that our students were not understanding. And it was this whole idea of suffering. This whole idea of what it meant in this culture to connect with what Jesus did. Now, anytime I start talking about students, it makes me start wondering about myself and the rest of us. And what I realized as I began to prepare for this, that probably every one of us is dealing with trying to figure out what it means and how it means and how we deal with this whole idea of suffering and connecting with Christ. If you've got a Bible in front of you, open it up to the book of First Peter. A little background. This book, this letter, written, we believe, by the Apostle Peter to a group of small churches sometime around 57 to 62 uh, AD. 
it was a time that the Christian church, um, actually, they weren't even called Christians at that point. They were called followers of Jesus. But it was around the time that the church was really beginning to take some major hits. It was really around the time that Christians were beginning to be persecuted. And so Peter is writing to believers, and he is saying to them, something is about to happen, and you need to be prepared for it. I'm going to read 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come tonight with a desire to understand your word, with a desire to understand how your word can lead us and how your word can apply to us today in our lives. Father, we come with pain. Many in this room have a lot of things that they are dealing with. And Father, we ask that for this brief moment, for these next 20 minutes, God, that you would allow them um, freedom from that. God, if it's your will, we'd ask that you would allow them freedom from it forever. But God, for these next 20 minutes, that we might be able to focus on your word, that we might be able to focus on the application of your word, and God, that we might be able to take that with us tonight and be changed. In your name, amen. Now, there's a problem with the definition of suffering. The problem is really simple, um, because we as Christians don't understand what it means to suffer. How many of us as Christians here in the United States have ever suffered because of our faith? Very few. You know, if you look at the world and you look at um, overseas and you, you hear all of the stories of people that were martyred for their faith, people who were beaten for their faith, people who were cast out of their homes, people who had everything taken from them. If you look at the world, you see that there's people for their Christian faith are suffering. But we in the United States don't typically suffer. Perhaps some of you have, but for the most part, that is not the case. And so when we come to these seven verses, we come not with a great understanding of what it means to suffer, at least what it means to suffer for our faith. A lot of us have a really great understanding of what it means to suffer because of other things. Some of you are involved in the entertainment industry. My entire conversation about suffering came out of a conversation with the industry. 
because I came up with a point and I wanted to see what other people thought about it. And I just said this. I said, here's what I see in Los Angeles. I see people who look at suffering as a momentary thing until they get their first part, until they get their first agent, until something happens. We look at suffering and we say suffering is a momentary thing, a momentary place we are, but it will change as soon as happens, as soon as something happens. I was talking to Tim Yee, who used to lead worship here, and he leads worship now at a church um, in Newport Beach, a Presbyterian church, very similar to Bel Air, and the people who live in that community are amazingly wealthy. As we talked, he said, you know, the people down here don't understand suffering either because they've never had to. Suffering for so many of them is... It rained on my vacation in Tahiti or wherever they happen to be. I can't relate to that. My life is slightly different. I live in the valley, which I'm very happy for. I have two kids and a beautiful wife, and we share 800 square feet, which uh, in L.A. is worth about $420,000. Okay, it's not, but uh, you know what I mean. Suffering is something that we see that is momentary. Uh, if any of you saw the movie Bruce Almighty, I went and saw it a couple weeks ago, and uh, something happened very significant while I was doing it. It was sort of right at the beginning as I began to prepare for this, and I didn't walk into the movie with um, a piece of paper, but throughout the movie I wanted to take notes because the theology in the movie when it comes to suffering is, is sort of amazingly good, or at least it really makes you think. Well, one of the things that was surprising is that um, Bruce was given God's, all of God's abilities. And he was given a very specific area to listen to prayers. And if you saw the movie, you know he's kind of set up this whole email program to where all the prayers got to him. And one day, he couldn't handle it anymore, so he just hit, respond to all, yes. And the very next day, the city, or that portion of the city, was in amazing uproar and chaos because 30,000 people had won the New York lottery that night. They all won $17. But it was amazing when you see that part of the movie, because you think they wanted change to happen immediately. And their belief was, if I win the lottery, everything will be different. Well, we know that's not the case, and there's so many examples of that not working for so many different people. Suffering is all around us as well, and we're very callous to it. If you've turned on the TV any time lately, you've seen the same stories over and over again. You know, in the Gulf War, we saw that for weeks, and so many people died. But how easy is it now for us just to turn off the TV and go, okay, that's over there. You know, And I found myself quickly forgetting that this conflict was even going on. You know, we've got all the stuff with Scott and Lacey Peterson. That's on TV. And this amazing suffering has happened in her family. Their daughter has died. Their grandson died before the grandson was even born. But for us, you know, that's something we don't think about. Um, Even here in California, um, where that took place, there's all kinds of other stuff happening here in L.A. that we either don't hear about or we don't want to hear about or we hear about it's quickly gone. You know, I'm a youth pastor, and so I hear from students all the time. Students will call me uh, all, all the time of the day, and they'll tell me how they are suffering. 
You know, it could, it could be a 14-year-old boy who has a relationship with a girl in his head. You know, he's convinced they're dating, even though they've never talked. And she starts dating someone else, and all of a sudden, he is completely traumatized. He's suffering, and he'll call me. I deal with kids whose parents have been divorced for the third time, and they really are struggling with how to relate to their parents. Suffering is something that we just don't even, we don't even deal with anymore. It just comes and it goes. The Internet has really shrunk the world. Probably a lot of you are more connected now to some people from your past than you ever would be if you didn't have internet, email, I am. I actually went to college before there was um, email. And I tell that to students and they look at me and they go, how old are you? But, uh, you know, it's amazing how connected we are. Every week I get these emails in my inbox that say some sort of horrible story that has happened to someone and uh, please send money, or please forward this to 20 of your friends so we can all pray. And what do I do with those? 95% of the time, I hit delete because I'm so callous to it. Well, tonight we should look at three different types of suffering. Um, the first type of suffering that we're going to look at is the kind of suffering where you don't have anything to do with it. Let me give you the three types. That way you, you, you'll know where I'm going. The first type is the suffering you don't have anything to do with it. It just happens to you. 9-11 just happened to a whole bunch of people. They had nothing to do with it, and it just came, and it hit them. Second type of suffering is suffering that happens because of our sin. We do something, and something happens. There is sin, there are consequences. The third type of suffering is the suffering that we want to get at tonight, and that I want to encourage you all to understand, and that is the suffering that comes about from standing up for that which we believe, which is Christianity. Well, the first type of suffering, that which um, just happens, which you don't choose, but it chooses you. When I was uh, a sophomore in college, about 10 years ago, I was down at my sister's room. We went to the same school. And uh, I was in her room, and my mom was there helping move her in, and my dad wasn't there. And I said, Mom, where's Dad? And all of a sudden, she just burst out crying. And she said uh, something that was utterly shocking to me. She said, your dad is in jail. And uh, I was a sophomore at a Seattle Pacific University. Fortunately, it was a Christian school. And I was um, a student ministry leader there, uh, a place where I was, along with 11 other students, we were responsible for ministering on our floors running Bible studies, being the person that they could knock on the door and say, I'm, you know, I miss home. Would you pray for me? And uh, all of a sudden, this thing came up where I went, okay, what? Um, tell me about this. Uh, it turned out um, through a, a series of events, uh, my dad was an alcoholic for a long time and uh, came up to a point where uh, he had done some things to a, a member of my family, to my youngest sister, and then he had turned himself in. Suffering, for me, at that moment, meant my entire family was completely shattered. Completely taken away from me. And I had no, I had nothing to do with that. It wasn't my fault. I didn't know how to respond to that. Well, I got real lucky. I walked into this guy's room. His name was Squire. I walked into his room. I sat down in his bed, and I started crying. Next thing you know, the room started getting full. And within about a half an hour, there were 11 other people in the room besides me who began to lay hands on me and to pray for me. I'm going to move forward seven years. 
Seven years from that moment, uh, six years from that moment, I walked into a public high school in California to do an interview. And I walked into that classroom um, where the principal was, and um, he, he uh, it turned out, was a Christian, kind of put his arm around me. It was a, a continuation high school. Um, it was for kids that had kind of fallen through the cracks. Put his arm around me, and he said, let me walk you around the school and tell you what we need. And uh, put his arm around me, and we start walking around the school. And I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable at this moment. But he, he said, uh, we need somebody that can teach social studies. And I said, well, I have a degree in political science and a teaching degree in social studies. I can do that. Now, understand this. Before the situation with my dad happened, I was going to law school. Uh, sophomore in college, I had all these plans to go to, law, go to law school, and that was what I was going to do. God changed my plans. God used this time of suffering to absolutely change my life. His arms around me, and he says, we need somebody that can teach P.E. And uh, I said, well, for the last three or four years, I've uh, taught physical education and outdoor education type stuff at this juvenile detention center in Washington State. So I think I can probably do that. Oh, actually, I wasn't cocky like that. I was like, I could probably do that. And then uh, he's, <laughs> he's got his arm around me, and he's like, we need somebody that can start up an outdoor program that can uh, take kids rock climbing and take kids. And I, and I said, you know, last summer I built a rock climbing course and uh, I've done a lot of this outdoor ministry type stuff and I'm, I'm uh, really comfortable doing that. So, you know, he kind of looks at me weird and then he says, I need somebody that can teach photography. And I said, well, for the last two years I've been the photo editor of my uh, college newspaper. And uh, I've taught photo classes at, at this camp. So he's looking at me. And he said, I need somebody that can coach. And I said, I've coached for the last year. I can coach volleyball. I can coach basketball. Tell me what you need me to do. So this is what he does. He takes his arm off me, pushes me away, looks at me, and he says, I need somebody that can coach cheerleading. (laughs) To which I said, the last two years I've been the captain of the cheer squad at college. (laughs) And uh, last year I coached an inner city high school uh, boys and girls cheer team. He, uh, he looked at me and hired me <laughs> on the spot. And uh, to which, you know, to, to God be the glory for that experience. Because had not that situation happened with my dad where the suffering happened to me, I would never have gone through any single one of those experiences. I never would have worked at that uh, juvenile detention center. I never would have decided to be a teacher. I never would have gotten the opportunity to teach photography. I never would... I probably still would have been a cheerleader. But uh, <laughs> all of those things just, just happened to me, and God used them. And I was a high school teacher at that school for three years, and the hardest thing I ever did was leaving that high school and going to work full-time in the church. Hardest thing I ever did. Second type of suffering is suffering that is our fault. Look at 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 15. Peter says this, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. A mischief maker. Today I walked into my office at about 1 o'clock this afternoon. My office, when I walk upstairs, my office door is wide open. Wide open. I don't normally leave it open. 
but it was wide open. And I walked in, and there was sort of nothing had been done to my office. But as I walked by the junior high pastor's office at our church, there was a loud buzzing sound coming from inside. And so I tried to open his door, completely tied shut, completely toilet papered. His office was in shambles. And um, I have no point to that. But um, (laughs) it's very important that you know that they're scared of me uh, at this church. But mischief making. Um, One of the kids' mom is convinced that he never does anything wrong. That he's not a mischief maker. That he doesn't get into trouble. Yet I saw a great example of that today. A lot of us can probably look to our lives and think of situations that we have caused suffering for ourselves and for others because of our sin. I don't even need to share an example in this area because every one of you is thinking of it right now. You know you have done something to yourself, to somebody else, that has caused an immense amount of suffering. And that suffering from your sin is something that you have had to deal with. Now, because God is great, and because God is forgiving, He sometimes uses those situations. As a youth pastor, I have the opportunity to minister to volunteers who come alongside of the youth, who care for the youth. And almost every one of them will say, the reason... I am involved in youth ministry, or one of the main reasons I am involved in youth ministry is because I want to help those students not make the decisions which I made. So they have used the consequences of their suffering from their sin to allow God to use them in the lives of others. The third suffering. Look at your Bible one more time. 1 Peter 4.16 says, Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but but glorify God because you bear this name. I play basketball at a gym in the valley. And I play basketball with a group of guys um, who are primarily... Jewish or Persian. And I spend a lot of time with those guys. I don't come out and wear a shirt that says, I am a Christian or I am a youth pastor. But those guys know that there's something going on in my life um, because of how I respond to them. Now, occasionally, there has been suffering on my part because of being a Christian. Things have not always gone my way on the basketball court, or guys will start screaming at me that they're, they're right and I'm wrong, and I just sort of let it go. But uh, for the most part, I don't suffer. I don't suffer for being a Christian. You know, there's two types of suffering, though, for being a Christian. The one type is suffering that you inflict upon yourself. You know what that is? It's you're a youth director, or I'm sorry, you're a volunteer. You've committed to the youth group or to a group of students that you will mentor them. And you said, I will go on the houseboat trip. I need some female volunteers, by the way. But uh, <laughs> you said, I will go on this houseboat trip. And uh, two days before the trip, you get a call from your agent that says, hey, you know what? They want you for that part. They want you for that movie, for that TV show. All of a sudden, you're at a point, two days before this trip that you've committed to, where you have to make a decision for Christ or for your career. Now, some of you probably are thinking in your head, but I can do both. 
I'm a Christian in the industry. Or I'm a Christian where I'm working. You know, if that's the case, and if you truly are, then that's amazing and that's a great thing. But I want to challenge you to really look at that statement and see how true it really is. Are you a light? Would people know that you're a Christian if you didn't tell them? I'm pointing fingers at myself as much as I'm pointing fingers at y'all. I'm not from the South. That just came out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's important for us to look at that. Is it true? Are you a light? If you're light, you probably are suffering. Go back to that passage, if you will. I want to walk you through how we should respond. 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised if you suffer. Be prepared that if you're living your life for Christ, that suffering and persecution should happen. Are you prepared? Are you going to be surprised if it happens? If somebody at work comes up to you? Um, the second type of suffering that I should have mentioned before is you let your boss know that you're a Christian and you would really not like to work on Sundays. And he says, work on Sundays or you're fired. Ever had that experience? I have high school students all the time who have that experience. You know, when you're working minimum wage at McDonald's, you don't really have a lot of, uh, a lot of pull, a lot of decisions you can make. First Peter 4.13, rejoice because not only will you see his suffering, but you will see his glory. First Peter 4.14, be glad because when you suffer for being a Christian, it is evident that the Spirit is with you. This is all how we respond. First Peter 4.16, glorify God in spite of suffering. 1 Peter 4.19, trust God and continue to do good in the times of suffering. Remember who Peter's talking to in this. He's talking to believers in the church. Now, some of you tonight might not be believers, but you're in the church. And you're at a point where you have made a decision to come here. Now, probably what I'm sharing is a little bit daunting to think, I don't know that this Christianity that you're talking about I don't know if this suffering that you're talking about is something that I truly desire because I don't really want to suffer. Or I've been through so much suffering already. Why would I join something that is going to add more? Well, my point at the beginning was we don't understand what Christ is. We don't understand what Christ did because we cannot relate to the concept of suffering. What will your faith look like if you do it? You'll be prepared to deal with things that happen to you. You know, the type of suffering I talked about with my parents, with my dad, um, who, by the way, my parents are together. My uh, parents have been back together. My dad hasn't drank in 11 years um, and is completely free, although he goes daily and weekly to treatment. He's completely free from all the struggle. And that is God's grace in that situation because we stayed by him and prayed for him. But you'll know how to deal with those types of situations because you'll understand the suffering. You know how to deal with sin and self-induced suffering. You'll know what it means when you look at your life and you can look and go, I need to get rid of that. I need to get rid of that because this suffering is directly related to that. You'll be better prepared to share with others about Christ when you can understand the suffering that he went through. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, if you will. This is what I'll end on tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Paul is talking about what happens and what are the results of suffering as a Christian.
And he says this, And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We as a church need to take a look at what we are producing. This concept of suffering is hard because when we look at it, we think, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. But we have to understand what it means. My challenge to you all, as I close, is to take an honest look at your life, take an honest look at where you're at, and question of yourself whether or not you are in, have, are currently in or have ever been in a situation where your faith could cause you to endure some suffering. It might very well mean that you need to take a step of faith. You need to take a step out and you need to let some more people know that you have a faith. Or you need to take a step even further out onto one of our missions teams. You know, going overseas or going to some of the places that we would like to go and being a Christian are very, very hard. Or you need to take a step to get involved at the church with your faith. Um, I had the opportunity this weekend to go on the men's retreat. Um, and the great thing about the men's retreat is the speaker, um, he encouraged us and he said this, and it was very pointed, and uh, he didn't back away from this statement all weekend long. He said, if you go to church one hour a week, he said, you need to take a look at your faith. Because if you're not actively involved in something, he just said something, a group, a ministry, something where your faith can grow, he said, then what is your faith looking like? I, you know, obviously I work here. I'm here all the time. But I had to take a look at that and go, what am I doing that I'm not getting paid to do? What am I doing that I'm not getting paid to do? Is there anything that I would be doing or that I should be doing to use the gifts that God has given me to get out there and to serve. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Father, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness, that you are a God of comfort, that you are a God of joy. Father, we know that uh, in this life as a Christian, that when we are out there living it, that it can be hard. And God, I pray for those here that are doing that now. God, we don't ask you to bring suffering, but God, we do ask that you bring passion and commitment to that which we believe. In your name, amen.